rhapsody, enthusiastic expression of feeling, an epic poem, a recitation, highly emotional utterance, literary, music in irregular form, stitched together, improvised, a collection of effusive, extravagant discourse, rapturous ecstasy. You're listening to A Rose Rhapsody. I understand. So when I get my unfortunately, I can think of it just yet right now as I'm afraid to go from home. And now, Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. Chapter 5 In the morning, I walked down the boulevard to the Rue Soufflot for coffee and brioche. It was a fine morning. The horse chestnut trees in the Luxembourg Gardens were in bloom. There was the pleasant early morning feeling of a hot day. I read the papers with the coffee and then smoked a cigarette. The flower women were coming up from the market and arranging their daily stock. Students went by going up to the law school or down to the Sorbonne. The boulevard was busy with trams and people going to work. I got on an S-bus and rode down to the Madeleine standing on the back platform. From the Madeleine, I walked along the Boulevard de Capucines to the opera and up to my office. I passed the man with the jumping frogs and the man with the boxer toys. I stepped aside to avoid walking into the thread with which his girl assistant manipulated the boxes. She was standing, looking away, the thread in her folded hands. The man was urging two tourists to buy. Three more tourists had stopped and were watching. I walked on behind a man who was pushing a roller that printed the name Cinzano on the sidewalk in damp letters. All along, people were going to work. It felt pleasant to be going to work. I walked across the avenue and turned into my office. Upstairs in the office, I read the French morning papers, smoked, and then sat at the typewriter and got off a good morning's work. At eleven o'clock, I went over to the Quai d'Orsay in a taxi and went in and sat with about a dozen correspondents, while the foreign office mouthpiece, a young Nouvelle Revue Francaise diplomat in horn-rimmed spectacles, talked and answered questions for half an hour. The president of the council was in Lyon making a speech, or rather he was on his way back. Several people asked questions to hear themselves talk, and there were a couple of questions asked by news servicemen who wanted to know the answers. There was no news. I shared a taxi back from the Quai d'Orsay with Woolsey and Crum. What do you do nights, Jake? asked Crum. I never see you around. Oh, I'm over in the quarter. I'm coming over some night. The Dingo, that's the great place, isn't it? Yes, that or this new dive, the Select. I've meant to get over, said Crum. You know how it is, though, with a wife and kids. Playing any tennis? Woolsey asked. Well, no, said Crum. I can't say I've played any this year. I've tried to get away, but Sundays it's always rained, and the courts are so damn crowded. And the Englishmen all have Saturday off, Woolsey said. And lucky beggars, said Crum. Well, I'll tell you, someday I'm not going to be working for an agency. Then I'll have plenty of time to get out in the country. That's the thing to do, live out in the country and have a little car. I've been thinking some about getting a car next year. I banged on the glass. The chauffeur stopped. Here's my street, I said. Come in and have a drink. Eh, thanks, old man, Crum said. Woolsey shook his head. I've got to file that line he got off this morning. I put a two-franc piece in Crum's hand. 
Ah, oh, you're crazy, Jake, he said. This is on me. That's all on the office anyway. Nope, I want to get it. I waved goodbye. Crumb put his head out. See you at the lunch on Wednesday. You bet. I went to the office in the elevator. Robert Cohn was waiting for me. Hello, Jake, he said. Going out to lunch? Yes, let me see if there's anything new. Where will we eat? Anywhere. I was looking over my desk. Where do you want to eat? Mm, how about Wetzel's? They've got good hors d'oeuvres. In the restaurant, we ordered hors d'oeuvres and beer. The sommelier brought the beer, tall, beaded on the outside of the steins, and cold. There were a dozen different dishes of hors d'oeuvres. Have any fun last night? I asked. Nah, I don't think so. How's the writing going? Rotten. I can't get this second book going. That happens to everybody. Oh, I'm sure of that. It gets me worried, though. Thought any more about going to South America? I mean that. Well, why don't you start off? Francis. Well, I said, take her with you. Ah, she wouldn't like it. That isn't the sort of thing she likes. She likes a lot of people around. Well, tell her to go to hell. Ah, I can't. I've got certain obligations to her. He shoved the sliced cucumbers away and took a pickled herring. What do you know about that Lady Brett Ashley, Jake? Well, her name's Lady Ashley. Brett's her own name. She's a nice girl, I said. She's getting a divorce, and she's going to marry Mike Campbell. He's over in Scotland now. Why? She's a remarkably attractive woman. Isn't she? And there's a certain quality about her, a certain fineness. She seems to be absolutely fine and straight. She's very nice. I don't know how to describe the quality, Cone said. I suppose it's breeding. You sound as though you liked her pretty well. I do. I shouldn't wonder if I were in love with her. She's a drunk, I said. She's in love with Mike Campbell, and she's going to marry him. He's going to be rich as hell someday. I don't believe she'll ever marry him. Why not? I don't know. I just don't believe it. Have you known her a long time? Yes, I said. She was a VAD in a hospital I was in during the war. She must have been just a kid then. She's 34 now. When did she marry Ashley? During the war. Her own true love had just kicked off with the dysentery. You talk sort of bitter. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I was just trying to give you the facts. I don't believe she would marry anybody she didn't love. Well, I said, she's done it twice. I don't believe it. Well, I said, don't ask me a lot of fool questions if you don't like the answers. I didn't ask you that. You asked me what I knew about Brett Ashley. I didn't ask you to insult her. Ah, oh, go to hell. He stood up from the table, his face white, and stood there, white and angry, behind the little plates of hors d'oeuvres. Sit down, I said. Don't be a fool. You've got to take that back. Ah, oh, cut out the prep school stuff. Take it back. Sure, anything. I never heard of Brett Ashley. How's that? No, not that, about me going to hell. Oh, don't go to hell, I said. Stick around, we're just starting lunch. Cohn smiled again and sat down. He seemed glad to sit down. What the hell would he have done if he hadn't sat down? You say such damned insulting things, Jake. I'm sorry, I've got a nasty tongue. I never mean it when I say nasty things. I know it, Cohn said. You're really about the best friend I have, Jake. God help you, I thought. Forget what I said, I said out loud. I'm sorry. It's all right, I'm fine. I was just sore for a minute. Good, let's get something else to eat.
After we finished the lunch, we walked up to the Café de la Paix and had coffee. I could feel Cohn wanted to bring up Brett again, but I held him off it. We talked about one thing and another, and I left him to come to the office. You've been listening to The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. I'm Christopher Lane. Can't wait to hear more? The story continues every month right here at the Rose Rhapsody. This week's podcast was produced by Trevor Cochran and Richard C. Washer and is a product of the Rose Theatre Company. All rights reserved. I'm Leslie Kopolinski. Now let's get back to that horn. <laughs>